I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, the Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, joined, as always, by Josh Dooley. And, Josh, we have our first post-game podcast of the season, um, and, and a game that there is a lot to talk about. Obviously, with it being the first game of, of the regular season, there would have been a lot to talk about regardless. But we had a lot of things happen in this game, some low lows, some really high highs. But at the end of the day, Ohio State wins, wins by 11 points over the number 5 team in the country a 21-10 win over Notre Dame. Certainly not how we expected it to look. Um, there were some things there that were, that were weird, some things, some players stepping up that we might not have expected, some new faces all around the field. But nonetheless, a really good win for Ohio State, one that Ohio State fans should feel good about coming off of uh, off of Saturday night and, and you know, the, the look of the team moving forward. So before we get into kind of the, the nitty-gritty, Josh, I kind of want to just get your pulse of of the game overall. We're obviously going to get into some of the, the specifics on both offense and defense, some of the big stories of the game, you know, the, the injuries that, that plagued the team a bit, some of the guys that stepped up that we maybe, you know, weren't, weren't characters that going into the season you're expecting to have big roles. But nonetheless, Josh, what did you think overall before we get into the specifics about how Ohio State looked in their first game of the year? Well, a couple of things. I mean, first and foremost, I'm just jacked to be back and talking about, you know, doing sort of a post-game recap. I was super excited going into that game last night. You know, overall, the, the game itself, I would have to say I was very pleased with the outcome. I think that you and I were both, you know, when we did the pre the preview pod, you and I were both under on the spread. We thought this might be a closer game than a lot of people maybe, uh, you know, painted it out to be. I assumed that it would be a a bit of a nitty-gritty performance. Now, I expected Ohio State's offense to be clicking, and I know we'll get to that, but this was Notre Dame's quote-unquote Super Bowl. You know, I know they played in a big bowl game last year, and their schedule is typically loaded, but with Marcus Freeman on the sidelines, and they've got Al Washington and James Laurinaitis and guys like that over there on the staff, they were looking forward to this starting like January 2nd. Or, or whenever they got done playing against Oklahoma State. So this was a huge game for them. They were keyed up. They were chirping a little bit. And I expected to get their best. And I don't know if Ohio State did get Notre Dame's best, but they definitely landed a couple of punches. I think they came out. Tyler Buckner really surprised me early on. I think that Notre Dame's defense really stood on their head throughout. I mean, they gave up 21 points. but uh, So, yeah, I think this was more... Points aside, 
This was more or less what I expected. I thought that Notre Dame would give the Buckeyes a fight. They certainly did. And, you know, when when injuries start to happen and the script kind of gets thrown out, it can get a bit hairy. We saw that throughout the first half. But just the toughness that Ohio State showed, um, the discipline and the aggressiveness on defense, I thought was great. They were tough up front on the offensive line and in the run game. So, again, I'm super pleased about this performance. Would I have loved a 28-point blowout? Absolutely. I certainly would have been a lot less stressed. But this was a really, really good first test. And in my opinion, they passed. So how about you, Gene? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, before the game, if you would have told me that, you know, Notre Dame was going to score only 10 points, I would have told you that Ohio State probably blew them out. And on the flip side, if you would have told me that Ohio State only scored 21 points, I probably would have told you that they might have lost the game. But um, it really, they really flipped the script in this game for me. I think, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of, of, you know, reality to say that Ohio State's defense was really what won them this game. And if you would have told me that going into this, I would have been stunned based on what we've seen, you know, really the past couple years, but specifically last year. Um, but I, I thought both units by the end of the game were kind of clicking. We you know, obviously in the first half, um, there were a lot of questions offensively. They didn't look particularly good. The play calling was, was suspect at best. Um, they only scored seven points in the first half. Um, which isn't obviously what you want, but I thought the defense really held up their end of the bargain in that first half, and then when Ohio State came out in the second half, they made some adjustments. They started running the football more. They started showing their their toughness more, and and, and by the end of the game, they wound up with a, a double-digit win over a, a number five team. So not a ton to complain about there. We'll have a lot to talk about in you know all of those realms. So I do... Um, yeah, I, I feel good coming off it. You know, I was obviously one of the people. I was very vocal um, in that first half of, of complaining about the coaching and, and some of the decisions being just made. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, it's it's it was a tough look with some of those plays. It was just seemed like Ohio State would come out, they'd run it a couple times, they'd get a first down or two, and then they'd throw three straight passes, and then they'd wind up having to punt. And it was a little frustrating. You know, C.J. Stroud didn't play bad by any means. We'll get into his performance a bit in a bit. But it just seemed like the hot hand in the game was running the football. It seemed like they were doing a good job up front with both Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson running the football. So I did want to see that a bit more early on. But by the end of the game, those two guys were were getting fed the rock and they were doing, you know, everything they could with it. So it was good to see Ohio State being able to attack in both realms on offense, both through the air and with the run game. Um, Defense overall, I thought, looked really, really good. You know, in in Jim Knowles' first game as Ohio State's defense coordinator I think he passed with flying colors I think Ohio State fans should be thrilled of what they saw from him out there especially since after the game he said that they ran a pretty basic concept against Notre Dame and that there's much more you know wrinkles to come I think that's super exciting to see from a defense that really was probably the best I've seen an Ohio State defense look in quite some time probably in the last two or three years that was probably their best performance they've had and Notre Dame isn't exactly you know an air raid offense but with the style of offense they run with a mobile quarterback loving to run the football that is a, a team that Ohio State would have struggled with in the past two years a team that could you know run run a, an option back there mobile quarterback he could get outside I mean they held Notre Dame overall to 76 yards on the ground on 30 carries so a 2.5 yards per carry average I mean that is just stellar uh, for a team whose strength is running the football. So all in all, I really liked what I saw from Ohio State. I'm, I'm super pleased with the, the end result, even though it wasn't the, the easiest route to get there. I think the end result speaks for itself. Um, and I think it, there's a lot to build on moving forward. And now they have you know some tune-up games coming off of this to kind of correct some of the issues they had. Hopefully they get some health, healthier, you know, a, bit, a healthy bill of health moving forward with some of the guys that were out in that game, some of the guys they lost in that game. But Nonetheless, I think there's no way you could flip this other than a positive with with what we saw out there from Ohio State. For sure. And I want to, um, you know, kind of take a page out of the Ryan Day playbook figuratively. Um, look, I mean, this was the number five ranked team in the country, whether you agreed with that ranking or not. This was I, I didn't think that this was ever going to be a blowout or a walkover by Ohio State. And when you look at some of the other teams um, and conferences and things of that nature, like Wisconsin opened up against Illinois State. Um, you know, this wasn't Florida A&M. This wasn't Akron. This wasn't whoever you want to throw out there. This was a hell of a test week one. Even, even you know, put Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson back on this team. It probably still would have been a test because everything's new. Not everybody is sharp. All you've been able to do is scrimmage a time or two while you still want to protect guys, make sure you go into the season healthy, this, that, and the other. And I, I talked about it on one of our previous podcasts. You don't know how you're going to react until there are live bullets in the air. And these were the first live bullets that the uh, the Buckeyes were able to see. And so 
the first half was definitely a feeling out process. Then I think they got comfortable on both sides of the ball. And, and that sort of showed in the second half result, right? I, Ohio State certainly didn't pull away, but they kind of, uh, you know, forced their will upon Notre Dame on both sides of the ball and did everything that they maybe not wanted to do, but definitely needed to do to win that game. So it's not the prettiest result in the world, but you still have to look at the big picture over the fifth-ranked team in the country. It's a top-10 win. It's a, a playoff resume win, things of that nature. And there was a lot of emotion and things that went into this, too. So, um, But I, I want to rewind a little bit. I, wanna, I just want to rip the Band-Aid off here. Let's talk play calling, Gene, because I think you and I both differ, and that was a huge theme for the first 30 to 45 minutes of the game. Um, I'm a little more forgiving, I think, of Ryan Day and the staff, but I want to get to that first because I know you have some strong feelings, and then I sort of have a retort, I think, or a defense of what we saw last night. Yeah, certainly. I I think that Ohio State makes it harder on themselves than it has to be, especially in these big games. You know, the the play calling early was just like puzzling to me at times. There was a lot of, you know, passes behind the line of scrimmage. There were a lot of, you know, these these long developing routes when they hadn't really established anything yet. Um, The the seemingly refusal to run the football. There would be times where, you know, Ohio State maybe picked up a first down on the ground early in a drive, and then their next set of downs, they'd throw it three straight times and wind up hunting. Uh, A lot of that going on. just seemed odd to me. It seemed like they were trying to force it uh, a bit in the passing game, and I know they like to, you know, they're, the Ryan Day, it's no fair. secret. It's no secret he likes to pass the football, but a lot of the times you could, you know, the all that is that, you you know, you establish the run, and then that opens up the passing game, and I know that a lot of the times Ohio State likes to do that in reverse, but with the guys they have out there, you know, especially without Jackson Smith and Jigbo, who we'll talk about in a bit, um, it just seemed like a, an interesting thought, especially because, you know, guy, it's not like Ohio State was getting stuffed in the run game. I thought both Henderson and Williams both looked, you know, solid early. They didn't look as good as they did at the yeah. end of the game when they were really, really running up their throats. But the, the early on in the game, they looked solid. You know, they, ha- they broke off a couple nice runs, and it just seemed odd to me that they kept throwing the ball, especially in the way they were throwing it. There was a lot of, like I said, like throws behind the line, like screen-like passes, um, not to the running backs, though, which I would have liked to see, you know, maybe throw a screen pass to Trey, see what he could do in the open field. But it was a lot of, you know, like five yard out routes and and like even even that though there weren't a lot of like the five yard out routes Ohio State's really good at they could five yard out you down all the way down the field but they weren't even really doing that there's a lot of these like screen type passes and it just seemed puzzling to me it seems like a lot of the times in these big games Ryan Day just just sort of you know gets very conservative in his play calling gets gets too cute for his own good I think they make it harder than it has to be and so that was really my main frustration you know you could run all those same plays once you have things established but I think you know for the way this Ohio State roster is is you know constructed right now I think that the classic you know open up the ground game get the play action passing going I think that the you know the standard way to operate an offense would work out pretty darn well with the talent they have out there both on the ground and through the air yeah I, I agree with a lot of those points actually um And for me, like, I know there is a Ryan Day needs to give up play calling hive out there. I don't know if you're quite there. I certainly am not. I guess my defense of what we saw last night. Now, look, in the beginning, they seem to have an aversion to the run. I'm completely with you on that one. I would have liked to have seen more than 11 uh, rushing attempts in the first half. I thought that it was working well when they went to it. But you know, something that you and I talked about before we jumped on the podcast here is it wasn't just that JSN got hurt and left the game early. If you go back to last year and look at the 2021 team and then compare it to last night, CJ Stroud wasn't missing JSN. He was missing the top four most experienced receivers from the previous year. When you throw in Julian Fleming, who I, I know I certainly did, but I think most people just assumed he would be out there, <clears throat> excuse me, potentially even starting. And then all of a sudden he's a game time decision. So you take away JSN, you take away Julian Fleming, and oh, by the way, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are gone. So I think that some of the um, conservative play calling was just a reaction to what they didn't have out there. And again, it goes back to they have not played a a real game yet. So I think Ryan Day wanted to see what he had, maybe play it a little bit closer to the vest early on. And so I, I think that was a lot of the play calling. When it comes down to Ryan Day and his plan and everything, I I don't think I would ever get to the point, or not certainly not anytime soon, where I say, hey, 
Ryan Day needs to pass the sticks. I can't look at what he did with Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud and be like, ah, this guy just doesn't have it. But what I will say is you're right. I think that he gets in his own way a little bit. I think it's more of a feel thing. He he doesn't, especially in some first halves, it doesn't seem like he adapts as quickly as he should or as he wants to, or he just plays conservative for longer stretches than he should. So it's a feel thing for me. But I think that, look, when they're the when Ohio State is scoring 50 points, he's a genius. When you've got these first-round quarterbacks and these first-round wide receivers and everything like that, he's a genius. So I do think that he can get a little bit too cute at times, to borrow a phrase from you. But I think overall... Again, you know, you got to keep saying it's game one. It's week one. I think that he will figure out what he's got with these young receivers. And that's another thing, too, with the wide receivers. Ibuka and Marvin Harrison Jr., they both played in the Rose Bowl. Both sort of went off, Harrison especially. But we also have to remember that they hadn't really done anything up until that point. And Utah was starting a running back at corner. We talked about uh, Utah as a great team last year. They're ranked number seven going into this year. I picked them to make it to the CFP, which they've already got a loss. I don't know how great that looks, but they were super banged up. They started Micah Bernard at cornerback last year, and they had JSN out there. So I think you have to give a little bit of uh, a benefit of the doubt to both Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Igbuka, even though Igbuka was really good, nine for 90, but there were some... I think communication issues, some trust issues, just getting on the same page. We talked about the potential touchdown to Igbuka. He's kind of coming across the middle of the field. CJ waited a little bit too long, or he expected Igbuka to maybe sit down in that zone. And so he threw it behind him. But And Kirk Herbstreit came to his defense and said, oh, the wide receiver needs to sit down. That's a communication issue. Well, from my point of view, Igmeka Igbuka saw a walk-in touchdown. And he wanted the ball in his hands with movement ready to go. So I actually blame C.J. Stroud on that one. But getting back to Day in the play calling, I think he wanted to take it easy or be a little bit more conservative early on. And then he adapted late, which is what we wanted him to do. We just would have preferred that it was at the beginning of quarter number two as opposed to quarter or quarter number three. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you made a couple of good points there. I think the feel thing with Ryan Day is a really good point. I think that that's really the main issue is that, you know, there'll be times where he comes out with a game plan and, you know, half of it is working and the other half isn't, but he's still trying to establish the part that isn't working just, to, you know, to get that part going, just to feel like everything is working. And so he kind of forces yeah, like one stubbornness, way. right? Yeah, it's definitely a stubbornness where he doesn't adapt his game plan early on he wants things to go the way he planned them out and this this game was a good example of you know Ohio State's ground game was working the passing game wasn't with the both the injuries and you know the the struggles early on getting getting communication with these these young receivers and they still just kept trying to force it that way instead of you know getting the ground game going and then getting it to those guys as well so I think that's a good point I think the stubbornness in the field is more of an issue than the actual you know play calling itself I think that'll come as as Ohio State learns the strength of this year's team but I, I think the wide receivers point is is one that hasn't really been talked about enough. You know, we kind of came into this season just expecting Ohio State's offense to continue putting up 40, 50 points a game after losing two top 11 wide receivers in the NFL draft. And I do think it's going to take a little bit of time for these guys to, to get acclimated. I do think they're going to be a really good offense at the end of the day. And I'm sure those guys will get going rather quickly, even with, you know, especially because they have these couple, you know, pretty easy games coming up to work on things. But you know, like you said, Emeka Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr.'s only real game reps were that that Rose Bowl game, and they did play admirably, but it was against some some lower-level competition in the secondary. And losing Jackson Smith and Jigba in this game so early, I think, really hindered the offense because, you know, a lot of, like I said, those passes behind the line were probably plays that were drawn up for Jackson Smith and Jigba because we've seen how good, you know, he could be with the ball in his hands in space making yeah. plays, you know, with the ball. So I think a lot of those were probably drawn up for JSN, and then it just comes back to the stubbornness of Ryan day you know seeing the personnel he has now and not adapting to it you know once he goes out of that game maybe don't run you know some of the screens behind the line passes that they were running but you know I thought um Emeka Ibuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. both played well I think there were more communication issues with Harrison than there were with Ibuka for whatever reason um like you said there was that one throw behind Ibuka where it was clear that you know that was going to be a touchdown if Ibuka got that ball in stride um but maybe the play was drawn up for him to stop so that ball wound up behind him don't know whose fault it was but nonetheless it was an incomplete pass and it looked bad at the time because he was wide open um I thought Stroud overall was 
was solid. Um, you know, he had some misses, but I thought he made some really nice throws. That one throw to Harrison um, in the corner of the end zone that he just dropped when he got to the ground was a, oh, a dime a of a throw, throw over the corner where only Marvin Harrison Jr. could get it. Um, it's a shame he didn't come down with that and complete the catch to the ground, but it was a good effort nonetheless. But yeah, I thought both of those guys played well as the top two guys. Obviously, I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, Ohio State, like you said, missing its top four guys really from last year um, in the wide receiver department and, and two guys in JSN and, and Julian Fleming, who Stroud probably spent the most of the time with the first team reps this offseason. And now you come into a game kind of expecting to have both of those guys. You wind up with neither of them. And certainly Ohio State's not hurting in the depth department at wide receiver, but it does take some time to get acclimated to the play style of new guys around you. You know, Omeka Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr., both very good receivers, but they both have very different play styles from a Chris Olave and Gary Wilson. You don't know always how they're going to to read her out to maybe break off her out when they see something else. And so I think that that connection will come, obviously, but losing a guy like JSN, who is so important to this offense and, you know, one of the top wide receivers in the country it is a tough loss. And so I think that did hinder Ohio State's offense pretty significantly. Um, but they had guys step up. You know, the two guys we talked about, obviously, Xavier Johnson with a huge game with the touchdown. X-Man. Yeah, he had a huge game. A great story from him. Former walk on had the go ahead touchdown late in the game. Also, then came back immediately and made a great tackle on special teams. So a great, great day overall for Xavier Johnson. He has made some plays in his Ohio State career, but obviously none bigger um, than that touchdown catch, I believe, in the third quarter. Um, but yeah, I thought Ohio State's wide receivers overall played well. Cade Stover made some good catches as a tight end. Um, Jane Baller had a couple touches. Uh, Mayan Williams actually made a really nice catch on the on the sideline yeah. at one point. So really, everyone was producing. And I think as the game went on, C.J. Stroud got more and more comfortable and started, you know, spreading the ball a little bit more. We started seeing more of those those out routes to the to the sideline that seemingly no team could guard. It seems like Ohio State could get those you know five to ten yard outs whenever they want them. And C.J. Stroud has been so good at making passes that you know don't really look all that hard to the naked eye, but are a very hard pass to make, especially when it's going to the opposite sideline from where Ohio State's lined up. I thought Stroud overall was very good in the pocket. I thought he, he extended plays very well. There were a couple of times, two specifically, where I felt like he could have simply ran up the middle and slid for a first down, and he still seems unwilling to take those. Um, but moving around in, in the pocket, I thought he, he played well. He extended plays. He didn't make any really poor decisions. He obviously didn't turn the football over. So from what we saw from Ohio State's passing attack, I'm certainly not worried moving forward. Hopefully they have JSN and, and Julian Fleming back soon. I don't really, you know, they probably don't need either of those guys to play for their next game or two but obviously for the stretch run and getting into Big Ten play it would be very nice to have both of those guys we don't I don't think we expect either of those guys to be out long term so having those two as well as Abuka and Harrison who both like I said played pretty well I think you're, you shouldn't be worried about Ohio State's passing attack and I think it'll only get better as the season goes on but I do think we kind of downplayed the losses of Olave and Wilson coming into the season. And you and I are on the same page we talked about that again uh, right before the podcast it was a a big uh, change of scenery for everyone involved. And just to stay on the the passing game, while it wasn't, it certainly wasn't ideal. I think that this game will pay huge dividends down the road because I think that it gave Emeka Egbuka increased confidence. I don't know if he needed anymore. He seems like a confident guy and for damn good reason. He's a, he's a heck of a wide receiver. I think that, the loss of JSN and sort of the way it played out. Marvin Harrison Jr. had five receptions on 11 targets. I think that he and CJ Stroud will probably both realize that they have some additional work to do, especially Marvin Harrison Jr., because he has to figure out how to maybe be a number one as opposed to a number two, if that makes sense. You know, he had the touchdown catches last year in the Rose bowl, but he was playing off of JSN, right. And to a certain extent, Igbuka and Fleming, but if JSN is going to be out uh, another game or something like that, it should allow Marvin Harrison jr. To kind of show his ability and show his growth. Maybe he's better as like a number two. If you look at, um, gosh, like the Cincinnati Bengals, right. T Higgins could probably be a number one somewhere, but he is a great number two in addition to Jamar Chase. So I don't know if that's Harrison's role or if he can eventually become like that big able body, like monster wide receiver one it's six and one half dozen of another really. But I think that there's some work to be done. It was good to see Jaden Ballard just touch the ball, get involved. They're going to need him down the road, especially given any sort of injury issues that they're going to have. Same thing for Xavier Johnson, he certainly looks like he'll play a role as a fifth-year walk-on. I think he's a fifth-year guy, certainly a walk-on 
maybe like a C.J. Saunders a couple of years ago. And even Cade Stover, I know he had three catches. They were all early. They weren't for a ton of yards. But just to get him involved, keep him involved in the game, I don't know how well he blocked in the run game. I think he was hit and miss. He'll get there, again, with more experience and more playing time. But, yeah, I, I liked what I saw from the passing game because as the game went on, CJ took what was given to him. And if you look at what Notre Dame was doing, Al, Al Golden, the new defensive coordinator, was with the Cincinnati Bengals last year. He was their linebackers coach, right? And throughout the broadcast or even on social media, people were talking about Notre Dame giving CJ Stroud the Pat Mahomes treatment. We're going to play our two high safeties. They're never going to come up. We're going to make you dink and dunk. And I think it took Stroud some time to get used to that. And uh, Al Golden was certainly familiar with it because he played, or he coached for the Bengals last year, and they implemented that game plan to a T against Pat Mahomes. So I think that threw Stroud for a little bit of an early loop, but then he just he stayed patient. I don't think he really overreacted to anything or got out of sorts. I think he showed some frustration with his wide receivers on occasion, but later in the game, he's like, okay, I'm not going to be able to take the deep shots, at least with regularity, and I'm going to wait for my opportunity. And that came, well, that was a perfect opportunity to Xavier Johnson. They finally brought both safeties, which I'll never understand. Third and 11, you're up. Ohio State's in position to score, and you bring both your safeties. I think that was a dreadful call. But CJ saw it coming from a mile away. He stood in the pocket. He delivered it, taking a hit, and he put it in stride to Johnson. So, yeah, it wasn't a 400, 500-yard performance. The stats might not blow you out of the water, but it was efficient. He was 24 for 34, 225, two touchdowns, no picks. It was clean. And I think he was good in the pocket. I'm with you. I think all of Buckeye Nation is with you on the running. Like, just tuck the damn ball, please, once or twice. But he also had a couple quarterback sneaks. Just, you know, it's a combination of things. I think it all comes down to week one. But regardless, when it comes to quarterback play and the passing game, efficient and nothing you're going to kind of be down on. Uh, It wasn't what we expected, but it was what they needed. Yeah, for sure. I do love that play where they like fake looking over to the sideline and then immediately run the sneak. Um, You can only get away with that so many times in a season before teams catch on, but they did do that once in this game and it worked for a first down with with CJ kind of just falling over the pile there. But yeah, you know, while we're talking about the offense and and while we're talking about CJ Stroud running, we do have to talk about Ohio State's running game, which was was, was phenomenal in this game. There's nothing short of that. You know, Trayvon Henderson, 15 carries for 91 yards. Mayan Williams, 14 carries for 84 yards and a touchdown. Both of them averaged six yards per carry or more. Just a phenomenal effort from those two guys and this Ohio State offensive line with, you know, a couple new faces on it as well. Um, I, I thought they looked really good pretty much all game. You know, obviously Mayan Williams had that huge drive late in the game where he was just bullying the Notre Dame defense all the way down the field. It was, you know, you know, uh, Justin Fry, new offensive coordinator, new offensive uh, line coach, had said in the preseason, you know, you want to be able to, to go out there, everyone in the stadium knows you're on the football and still be able to pick up five yards. And that's exactly what Ohio State did in that fourth quarter. They showed... Mm-hmm. A lot of toughness that we knew was lacking from last season. I think that was a, a huge drive both for, obviously in the game sense, but just in terms of Ohio State's season at large, we wanted to see this team be able to you know, physically you know, dominate teams on, the, on both sides of the line of scrimmage, especially on that offensive line, which didn't really get the job done all too many times. And there was you know, a play early on in the game where they tried to run on third and two up the middle with Mayan Williams, and they didn't get it. And so it looked yeah. like it was going to be more of the same from this Ohio State offensive line this season. But by the sec- by the fourth quarter, you know, those guys were in stride. They were they were really c- finishing their blocks really well. You know, I, I thought Paris Johnson Jr. especially looked really, really good at defensive tackle. Um, but I think all those guys played admirably across the line. And in that fourth quarter, they were really just, you know, straight up kicking ass out there. They were, they were pushing people around. They were getting the job done. And Mayan Williams was a recipient of that touchdown. He was running with his hair on fire out there, breaking tackles and, and refusing to go down. So... I loved everything I saw from the Ohio State ground game. Um, I think the one-two punch of Henderson and Williams is a, a perfect tandem with each other. Williams, the more you know, the more physical back, the more you know, bully ball down the field kind of guy, and Trayvon Henderson with the the more high-end speed of the two. But even he had some really nice runs where he was breaking tackles and pushing guys along as well. So I loved watching both those guys. I think Ohio State's ground game looked really good, and I think if Ohio State could, you know, once they get some receivers back, once once CJ Stroud gets on on the same page as some of these receivers, if they have a dominant ground game like that to go along with this. 
longest passing attack that they've had for some time now. I think that is a an incredibly dangerous offense for the college football world this season. I agree, and I think that sometimes six yards per carry on 30, 29 carries, 30 carries, something like that, <clears throat> I think sometimes that can be so much more satisfying than when you run a couple, you break a couple big ones against like an inferior opponent, right? Ohio State was constantly falling forward, constantly gaining yards. I don't know that they had a negative rush. I think they got stopped for a no gain on the play you just referenced, but those guys were getting four, five, six yards. They had longs of just 15 and 16. So that's not what we saw from Travion Henderson last year was seven, eight, nine yards per carry. He'd break a long one. You're not always going to do that every week, especially against a defense that has a bunch of experience, a bunch of good coaches, a bunch of good players. So what we saw in their running game, I loved what we saw from the offensive line. The one sack that Ohio State gave up was more of a culmination of things. I think Notre Dame on that play brought two blitzers and Travion Henderson basically had to choose. And even then, like when he chose, he just didn't nail the block. So the pocket collapsed there. But other than that, I thought that they were the offensive line was really good in pass pro. We didn't hear from Isaiah Foskey at all. Dewan Jones had two or three false starts, which I, I think you'll work through that. All in all, though, I think they're really good against the pass rush. And the guys in the middle, though, that's the other thing about the Ohio State rushing attempts. A lot of them were interior runs, and maybe they broke them out, uh, break them out loose. But I kept calling for a sweep, run a sweep, run a sweep. And Ohio State didn't do that, but they didn't need to because the guards and Luke Whipler especially were nasty in the middle. They were opening up, uh, you know, four or five, six yard holes there in the middle. So. I really loved what we saw from that unit against, we'll see what Notre Dame is down the road, but between Foskey and uh, I don't want to butcher the defensive lineman's name, so I don't want to screw it up. They've got Bertrand in the middle. They've got a you know a really good front six, front seven, and I thought that Ohio State eventually started to bully them, and then when it came down to a matter of wills, Ohio State broke Notre Dame's. With the long drive in the fourth quarter, 14 plays, 95 yards. It was seven minutes. I forget the exact breakdown on plays, but I, I believe Mayan Williams had about 60, 65 yards rushing just on that drive. He was a monster. He didn't want to come out. I don't know if you saw it. You probably did where he waved Travion Henderson off yep, after yep. he got stuffed. He was like, no, this is mine. I'm ready. I uh, conditioned my tail off during the offseason, dropped a couple pounds, but I'm still big and beefy. I'm ready to get in the end zone, and that's exactly what he did. So uh, I think I called them Thunder and Lightning, and you liked that name. We should stick with that throughout the year because I do think that Travion Henderson is, is still going to lead this team in rushing. He's the more explosive back. He's the better pass-catching back, in my opinion. But man, Mayan Williams might be a really good 1B. And we might have some games where he leads the Buckeyes in rushing because he is that interior, tough, breaking tackle kind of guy. And I really liked the way that they played off of each other and complimented each other. And I think we'll see a lot more of that down the road. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that Mayan Williams would probably be the number one back on pretty much most teams in the country. Both of those guys, like we said, have varying skill sets, but they're both very, very good at what they do. Uh, you know, I could see some games where they're flip-flops in yards where Mayan outgains Trey, but yeah, both guys played really well. Um, it was good to see him, you know, kind of earn that whole drive and, you know, get the touchdown in the end after doing pretty much all the work on that drive. I think it was, I think 10 of the plays on that drive were rushes and Ohio State was just, you know, pretty much, you know, just, just showing that they were the more physical team out there. And that's what we've wanted to see from them for quite a while now. And they were able to do it. So I think offensively kind of wrapping up that side of the ball. Um, there's obviously things to work on. You know, 21 points is not what you want to see from this Ohio State offense, but it was more than enough to get the job done in this game. Um, there's some things to work on, obviously, in the passing game. Having, you know, the best receiver in the country back will certainly help things. Um, and, and having your other potential, you know, projected starting wide receiver out there as well will help as well. But I think as, you know, as all those guys get more comfortable, that'll improve. And we already saw from you know, from the ground game in week one uh, what they could do. And, and I think that offensive line will only continue to get better as the five guys out there continue to gel uh, and get used to playing with one another so I think all in all a lot to like about the offense a lot to to work on moving forward but nothing overly concerning out there I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Flipping over to the defense, uh, the unit that we really had no idea what we were going to see from um, comes out and just balls out in their first game under Jim Knowles. Ten points. Held Notre Dame to ten points. They pitched a shutout in the second half, didn't allow a single point after halftime. Um, And they really, like, it's not like Notre Dame was just struggling offense. I thought Ohio State's defense legitimately looked good. I thought that they, uh, unlike last year and maybe even the year prior, Ohio State's defenders actually looked like they knew what they were supposed to be doing on the field. They knew their assignments. They were playing fast to the ball. They were making tackles when they needed to. And obviously, you know, there's going to be your, your couple of broken assignments or broken tackles in a game. Um, and those did happen. There were two kind of big plays that they led up to Notre Dame. But other than those, I mean, they were really, really solid. They were really good in the ground game. I was super concerned about how they would handle a, a mobile quarterback and, and a read option style of offense. And they handled it, you know, Fantastically, Like I said, they only allowed 2.5 yards per carry on the ground. That's excellent against a team like Notre Dame, whose strength is against the run. They didn't allow a ton in the passing game. There were some nice pass breakups. Um, they had a couple of guys... You know, in particular, step up. I know you're a big Tommy Eichenberg guy. He looked phenomenal yeah. in this game, one of Ohio State's best defenders. Um, Lathan Ransom, who came in um, after really the first couple of plays in place of Josh Proctor, was one of Ohio State's best defenders in the secondary. And then Mike Hall. What a game from up front from defensive wow. tackle. Mike Hall, probably Ohio State's best defender overall in that game, came away with the sack late in the game to, to really cap off his performance. But I thought at all three levels, Ohio State had players making plays, and I loved what I saw from this Ohio State defense. It was it it was fun to watch, and I can't, I can't believe I'm saying that about Ohio State's defense. We thought it would take some time for this unit to really come together. I think at both of our predictions, we had Notre Dame you know, scoring around 24, 28 points. We figured they'd get theirs, but you know, all the credit due. You know, Jim Knowles and these Ohio State defenders, they got the job done in Game 1. They looked really good, and I'm excited to see what they could do moving forward as Jim Knowles enacts even more, you know, blitz packages and and whatnot different he said they're pretty vanilla in this game so i can't wait to see what what not what not basic looks like from this unit but i am excited for this ohio state defense for i don't think i could say that in the past two years until right now lights out in my opinion i'm with you it was actually fun to not wonder if the guys are know what they're doing on any given play or if they know what their assignment is i think that they played discipline i think that they were aggressive to an extent to the extent that they needed to be, I thought that they pulled back and played a little bit safer when it, you know, when it was called for. But yeah, really at all three levels, I think they were really good. The defensive line, gosh, yeah, I mean, what else do you say about Mike Hall? He had four tackles, two for loss, and a sack, but he was disruptive on like five or ten other plays. I think that Teron Vincent and Tyreek Williams, they showed up, they were there, and then when you look on the outside. JT Tui Malau was only credited with one sack, but you look at just start with the first play of the game. Dumb penalty. I don't know if I agree with it, but he nearly got to the quarterback and really should have affected that throw. I think he did to a certain extent. It was a bit of a kind of a, a lucky play in my opinion, but that's all he was credited with. But I think that he was just a presence. He was there. He was around a lot more. And same goes for really Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer. Now, Zach played as a down lineman. I don't think we saw him in that Jack role at all. I think that was almost exclusively Sawyer if I really went back and watched it play by play. But Zach was involved in a couple of different plays. And then Sawyer playing that Jack position, we really saw him all over the place. He rushed, he blitzed, he played against the run, then he dropped back. He played as a little bit of a linebacker. I think all of those guys played well. I don't really think that you can point to a play or anything like that where they were out of position or they they guessed wrong or were out of place. 
even against Buckner, who is that dual threat guy, I'm with you. I think that then when there was a read option opportunity, those defensive linemen were always where they needed to be. Uh, if I went back, Buckner had a juke or two early on that got him some yards, but it's not because the Ohio State defenders, or spe- specifically the defensive linemen, were out of place. It's athlete on athlete in space, and Buckner's a good athlete, so he got some yards. But I think those guys played really well. At linebacker, we really only saw two of them. I guess Cody Simon made an appearance. I thought the linebackers played well. Steel Chambers had five tackles. Tommy Eichenberg had uh, nine total, two sacks, three tackles for loss. I called him Tommy Erlocker, joking a little bit. But, gosh, when you look at his last couple of games between Utah and Notre Dame, he's up upwards of 30 tackles, a couple of sacks. He's getting in the backfield. He really seems like he has come into his own. I still don't know where he's at athletically, but he hasn't given me any reason to doubt that he has not improved and gotten smarter and learned how to put himself in a better position. Steel Chambers was that complimentary piece. He made some plays out in space. I think he got to the sideline really well on a Buckner scramble and forced him out for a minimal gain. So like what I saw from those guys in the secondary, I don't think they were tested a whole lot because Notre Dame does not typically or has not typically in the last couple of years thrown the ball a ton to their outside guys that are on this current roster. They lost, gosh, I want to say like Kevin Austin. Uh, I don't know if I'm nailing his name, but their leading wide receiver from last year, he was gone. Michael Mayer was really kept under wraps. Cam Brown got matched up on him a couple of times, and he didn't necessarily win the matchup, but he wasn't out of place, and he held his own. Really, even on Mayer's big play, Cam Brown was in position, and he swatted at the ball. It's just good luck going against a guy who's 6'5", 6'6", 260. He's going to lose that matchup, but he was there, and he could have broken that pass up. So he looked good. Denzel Burke, you can say he got burned a couple of times. In my opinion, he was in position on the 30-yard reception that was juggled. I think he was there. He had his back turned to the ball. Don't love that, but he was where he needed to be. And then, yeah, he got cooked on one longer pass in the second half. Other than that, though, when you don't hear from the cornerbacks, that means they're generally doing their job, and we didn't hear a whole lot from Cam Brown or Denzel Burke. In my opinion, they were doing their job. And at safety, I thought Ronnie Hickman was present. He was all over the place. Tanner McAllister was not credited. I think he was credited with one tackle. But again, he was he was present. He was there. He was where he needed to be. So I, that's all I needed to see from those guys. And Lathan Ransom, we did a predictions column for the website before this game kicked off. It went live shortly beforehand. And I wanted to go out on a limb a little bit. I don't know how much I believed this but I predicted Josh Proctor would lead the team in tackles with right around 100 and Josh Proctor was benched after the first series or maybe even during the first series because he went I don't believe that anybody expected Notre Dame to come out and on the first play throw to the boundary but it happened Proctor came over he wasn't in bad position but I don't think he took a great angle he whiffed on a tackle and he got the hook And Lathan Ransom came in and played really well. He was decisive, and when he saw the ball, he made a decision and he went towards it. I think Josh Proctor was missing that, and that's why he got pulled. But we also have to remember he hadn't played football in a year. So I still expect Josh Proctor to be a big contributor for this defense. He may not have had it last night, or maybe Jim Knowles really did want to ride that hot hand, and that's what he saw in Ransom. But if you have both of those guys— and Hickman, and McAllister, and the young guys who we've not even thought about seeing yet, who I believe will get involved. All units really played well. They held Notre Dame under three yards per carry. I think they only gave up four first downs in the second half. They dialed it up when they needed to, and they were in the spots that they needed to be. That's what was missing last year. We didn't have the big... The big gaps, we didn't have the missed assignments, we didn't have the blown coverages, things like that. And that's a credit to Jim Knowles, who was up in the box, the mastermind, just kind of moving his chess pieces around. Lights out performance from that unit. I loved what we saw. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, just looking at some of those guys, I, I, you know, Tommy Eichenberg at this point has fully beaten the tough Borland accusations. Um, there was some of that being thrown his way early last year, but we saw towards the end of the year him looking a lot better. And then in this game, he just looked phenomenal. I think Ohio State, you know, like you said, he's probably not the most athletic guy on, on Ohio State's defense, but I think Jim Knowles understands that. And I think they're putting him in good positions to, to play to his strengths. You know, they're not putting him out covering wide receivers like they might have done under previous regimes. They're not making him, you know, go out there and make plays as like a, as like a safety linebacker hybrid. They're having him in the box, you know, play the run support. Uh, you know, they had him blitz on a play. He got that nice sack early in the game. Um, and, I, and I think they're really putting him in a position to succeed, which I think is kind of true across the board with Ohio State's defense. It's something that we didn't see last year. You know, last year they're trying to put, you know, a round peg in a square hole and just putting guys in positions where they, you know, they think guys should be, but really wasn't their strength. And now they're kind of playing to guys' strengths and we're seeing it play out with how well Tommy Eichenberg played. So I love to see that. You know, you talked about Ransom replacing Proctor. I mean, I am interested to see how that kind of plays out as the year goes on. I think they will kind of ease Proctor back into things after missing all of last year, but Nathan Ransom was noticeably very good. Like you said, he made some very nice tackles in space. I thought the same was true of Steel Chambers and Ronnie Hickman. They all made some really nice one-on-one individual tackles in space, which you especially have to do against a team that runs the ball like Notre Dame. You know, we talked about some of those guys on the defensive line. J.D. Tui-Maloau and Jack Sawyer both didn't, you know, fill up the stat sheet, but I thought they were both definitely noticeable in the game and wreaking havoc out there. I liked seeing, you know, Jack Sawyer was more or less playing as a third linebacker on some snaps, kind of standing up in the middle of the defense, moving yeah. around over there, moving across the defensive line. So liked seeing that from him. I like, I'm going to very interested to see how they use his versatility and how Jim Knowles can use to deploy him as the year goes on. Um, my only real gripe was that um, at times, there were some questionable personnel decisions. They had some, you know, second or third stringers out there on some pretty key yeah. drives. I'm not going to pick on guys specifically, but there was definitely some noticeable times where it's like maybe this, these one or two guys shouldn't be out there on this specific play. Maybe play your best guys. But I think they're they're kind of just trying to figure out what they have still there. And I think we will see Ohio State's best guys on the field when when it's needed as the season goes on. But yeah, I was very very impressed with what I saw. I mean, Ohio State allowed 72 yards total in the second half uh, against. Notre Dame. That is just outstanding, especially coming off of you know what we've seen from this Ohio State defense lately. These are more or less the same players that played last year on one of you know the worst defenses we've seen in Ohio State history. And now under a new coaching staff that actually knows what they're doing, they looked incredible. And so I'm very excited to see what these guys could do as this unit continues to gel, much like, you know, the offensive line, I think this unit's only going to continue to get better. I think Jim Moles is going to continue to add more wrinkles to his defense and his play calling as guys get very comfortable with kind of the base look they have right now. Um, I think the four-two-five is a great look for this team with, you know, kind of the, the depth issues at linebacker. I think that that, even against a team that likes to run the ball a lot, you know, that's, you'd think that's where a four-two-five would struggle a bit more having only the two linebackers on the field, but they played great against the run. So um, all in all, I thought it's very, very reassuring performance. I think that you know, this was the unit that we didn't really expect to see uh, ball out in game one. And I think overall, this is probably Ohio State's better unit of the two. You'd be shocked to say that Ohio State started the year with their defense really keeping them in the game, but allowing only 10 points, allowing basically nothing in the second half, this defense really willed the way for Ohio State to win this game. And if, if they're going to continue to play like that and the offense continues to get better, this is a, this is a very good Ohio State team. Yeah, I, I love Jim Knowles too. You hear him talk after the game. His demeanor doesn't change when they're like, hey, did you, you know, was this unexpected? Was this a surprise? Nope. This is what I thought we would do. Like, he's just so zen-like and disciplined and has a a level head about him. And that doesn't mean it's the best approach because you talk about a guy like Kerry Combs who was different in a lot lot of different aspects. But it's just, I guess, a, a breath of fresh air to see sort of the way that he looks at the game and talks about the game and things of that nature, you can tell he's been doing this for 20 to 30 years and he's just really good at it. And I like that. I like everything that they did last night. I thought they were aggressive and I thought that they deployed some different looks. But then when I heard Jim Knowles talk about it and say they were vanilla, I thought back to the game and I was like, yeah, I guess I can kind of see that because we saw blitzes but we didn't see a ton. You know, I I expected Jack Sawyer to come with his hair on fire on nearly every play he was out there, and he didn't. I think that we saw the one corner blitz from Denzel Burke on the first play of the game. I don't know that we saw that again. So I, I guess I get what he was saying, but he just had the guys where they needed to be, 
playing with the right sort of composure and demeanor when they needed to. I, I, I really like that they were rarely out of place. I think about the one tight end seam route down the middle where Notre Dame ran the fake pitch. Cody Simon and another guy bit 2,000% on that play. They went with the running back and opened up the middle. That is the one play that I can think of. And look, Notre Dame ran that pitch play. It's something that they used often or would use effectively to, to a certain extent, I guess. So I'm not altogether surprised. And again, Cody Simon was a backup in there, bid on that play. I'm not saying it was his fault that that play was completed. I'm just saying that's the one time that I can think of a player really being out of place. So... I thought that was great, and before we move on, wrap up, wherever you want to go next, I think we need to go back and talk more about Mike Hall. You know, this is a guy, I will admit that I slept on him to a certain extent. Obviously, I was aware of him. Uh, people within the program had spoken very highly of him, his work ethic, his athleticism, goodness, things like that, but... You know, when I really look back, I guess I didn't realize that he was the 10th ranked defensive lineman in the country in his class. I did not realize that he was a top 53 prospect in his class. I had heard all the rumblings that, yeah, this guy's going to be disruptive, this, that, and the other. He was a freak show last night, and he's listed at like 6'3, 290, 300 right now. He looks so athletic. And I think that if they can bring Tyleek Williams along to where he can flash consistently what he did last year, you're talking about a couple of monster defensive tackles and guys that I don't remember Ohio State having one of these guys over the last couple of years. You can say Haskell Garrett was like this to an extent, but he was six foot nothing barely 300 pounds. He was not the quickest, most agile guy in the world. And really he flashed it for about a half a season. And that was it. He is not, and was not the athlete that Mike Hall appears to be. And Tyler Williams has appeared to be in the past. So I just want to go back and give him extra kudos because it's between him and Eichenberg for me, but he was at least one B when you're looking at most impressive players from a defense that impressed on the whole last night. Yeah, Ohio State's defensive line as a whole was really impressive, but nobody more so than Mike Hall. Um, you, you do love to see that kind of both you know pass rushing and that kind of just speed and athleticism from the defensive tackle position is something you don't always see. And if Ohio State could add that wrinkle to its defensive line alongside guys like Tui Malowau and Sawyer, um, I, I think that adds a whole other aspect to the defense. I was interested to see. Uh, he didn't register a, a stat, and I don't remember really seeing him play. I don't know if Tyleek Williams really played much in this game. Um, he but- was in a little bit. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't really make make much of an impact, or maybe he did, and it was just one of those you know defensive tackle not filling the stat sheet things. But having him and and Mike Hall up the middle, two guys that can both rush the passer from the middle of the defensive line. I think that adds a whole other dynamic to this Ohio State defensive line because then, you know, if you're an offensive lineman going against Ohio State's defensive line, you're you're keying in on guys like JTT and Sawyer. But now you got to worry about the defensive tackles as well, some guys that you might not have to double on, uh, here and there on, on certain plays. And that's just that that's a lot of fun. Larry Johnson's going to have, I'm sure, a lot of fun moving those guys around. I'm still, you know, looking to see more of, you know, Zach Harrison maybe at the defensive tackle spot, but I thought he also was good in, in stopping the run, which is kind of what's been his strength throughout his Ohio State career. I thought the defensive line as a whole was really good in, you know, setting the edge on run plays, not allowing uh, Buckner to get outside on too many plays. I mean, his longest rush of the game was 12 yards, so Ohio State did a good job there. Um, so, yeah. And, I mean, Gene, I think it's – sorry not to interrupt. I think it's indicative of the opponent they played, too. Notre Dame is not a drop-back, five, seven-step drop, look for the receivers downfield type of team. And so I think we were always going to see less – or, you know – not get a full grasp of how disruptive that line can be against a team like this. But I also think that that's kind of what you want to see when you look at Ohio State's schedule and things like that, because they're going to play Wisconsin and Michigan and Michigan State and teams like that. Well, Michigan State's a little bit different, but you're not talking about these arid out units and Notre Dame is not. So they morphed to what they needed to be against their opponent. So I think that was also reflective of the stats that we didn't see, but you and I are on the same page that all of those guys were disruptive to a certain extent, right? 
Yeah, and I think from what we saw on both sides of the ball, I think this was a good good way for Ohio State to win in Game 1 because it doesn't let them get you know too high on their own supply here. Um, they're not going to come out and think they were perfect. You know, if, if they came out and won like you know forty-eight to ten against Notre Dame, I think they'd be you know kind of feeling themselves a little bit, feeling like they don't really got to you know try the rest of the season. They know that they're a good team, but now you know it gives them some things to work on. They still looked really good on both sides, at, at you know as, especially as the game went on. But I think it gives them some things to work on on both sides of the ball. Um, but they're, they're both heading in a good direction, so we like to see that. You know, they're going to have a game coming up here next weekend that we'll preview eventually of of Arkansas State, which they'll you know probably be high thirties, low forties favorites against I'd imagine but the, those type of games you know now they could go in they could they could look at the stuff that they struggled with against Notre Dame they could try to work on some of those things and you know get those really get get firing on all cylinders before they head into Big Ten play and get the rest of the season going um I, I'm interested to see you know they're not really going to play you know we talked about Notre Dame not really being a you know throw the ball deep downfield type of team they're not really going to play a ton of those teams this season because they play in the Big Ten and there aren't yeah. a ton of those offenses but it'll be interesting to see how the pass coverage continues to play um I'd like to see you know, it's going to be tough because, like, we, we we run into the situation where we want Ohio State to kind of prep for the playoffs, but you still got to win the games at hand. But you're not really going to play an offense like an Alabama or, or or even like a Georgia, how their offense looked yesterday. Like those teams like to throw the ball a little bit, and you're not really going to see a ton of that. So it's going to be tough to gauge the secondary. I'm not super worried about them, but um, that's just kind of my my thoughts after this game, just kind of what Ohio State's going to need to work on moving forward. I think that um, there'll be some focus in, in finding the best guys in that secondary. You know, we'll see what happens with the Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom situation. Um, we'll see how they get healthy over there. I think overall they're pretty pretty good health-wise on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously offense is where they're going to need to to get guys healthy with JSN and Julian Fleming. But I believe Ryan Day said after the game they don't expect either of those guys to be out for all too long. So seems like all positives heading out of this game you know there was there was definitely some concerns and a lot of stress during the game but I think coming off of this game and really looking back on it I think there's a lot to be positive about and pretty much all the issues that Ohio State did have are are very fixable and will kind of just work their way out as they continue to play the games I agree with you and you know this was the 20th anniversary of the O2 national title team and I'm not comparing these teams per se especially on the offense but when you do look at the the different styles and the different uh, you know ways that Ohio State has been successful over the past couple of decades, Ryan Day, especially on the offensive side of the ball, it's a new offense. It's something that we had not seen previous to his time here at Ohio State. And then the defense fell off, right? Under Urban Meyer, I, I, probably equal on both sides of the ball, more run heavy, more read option. Under Trestle, it was... Good run game, great defense. And so I'm, I'm not saying that Ryan Day should adapt those older styles. I, not at all. I think this offense can be one of, if not the most explosive ones in the country. But if they take a tiny step back for the defense to take a huge step forward, I'll take that 10 times out of 10. Because the, the goal is to win every game by at least a point. That's all you've got to do. Style points. They're great for rankings and to get you into this, that, and the other. But if you win all your games by at least a point, that's all that matters at the end of the day, including playoff games. And you're right. Ohio State probably will not see a juggernaut like an Alabama or a Georgia or anything like that. But if they can build on this game and the offense grows in a way that we think that it will, then you know you have to put them up there with those other teams because if the defense, like we've talked about in the past, if you can make them a top 20, top 30 unit, even a top 10, which is a huge, enormous, maybe unrealistic goal, then you're talking about an Alabama and a Georgia. They don't have – look, Bryce Young is insane. He's got great wide receivers. They had J-Mo and John Mechie last year, and the defense had fallen back. But when they won certain big games, it was Bryce Young and the defense. Bryce, Bryce Young, running game, defense. In others, it was Williams and Mechie and things like that. So you have to have more than one trick in your bag. And so I hope what last night showed us is that Ohio State has more than one trick in the bag. They are more than the we're going to outscore you type of team, even if we give up points. Hopefully they can build on this and this shows, yeah, we've got that trick. 
But if you want to get in the ring and throw punches and go round for round, we'll do that with you too. And so that's what I think was the biggest, most important takeaway from last night is they got it done in sort of a dirty, grimy, physical way. And if that's the way that they win 12, 13, 14 games, uh, I'll take that 10 times out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. I did want to bring up one thing. I don't want to end on a negative note, but it was just something I thought of. If Ryan Day ever punts from the opposite 40 on 4th and 3 ever again, <laughs> I'm going to lose my damn mind. What the hell was that? You can't be punting from the opposite 40. No, and 99.9% uh, .9 of the rest of Buckeye Nation was with you. I, I thought it was very curious, especially, look, I, I don't care if you're up by 100 or down you know, by 5, 10, whatever it was at the time, like Ryan Day speaks to being like an aggressive coach. And I think that you and I have maybe poked a couple of holes in that 100% of the time, at least, right? But when you don't have momentum and you need it, that is the exact time that you have to go for that. So I'm with you a, a thousand percent in that situation. It was curious. I think that if I can even attempt to read into you know, his thought process at the time, I think that he knew that they needed momentum, but he didn't want to lose it all. So I guess maybe that's where he was going. But yeah, I mean, you, you got to go for it. You, you have to go for it 100 times out of 100. I know that they ended up pinning Notre Dame down deep, but you know it's not like they pinned him down deep, got a turnover, and immediately scored. I don't think, if I'm going back to that sequence, it was just pin him. And then we eventually got the ball back. So really no upside to that one. Yeah, no no more cowardly punts this season. To his credit, you know, Jesse Mirko had a good game punting the ball. He down Notre Dame inside the 10 a couple of different times. So shout yep. out to him. Hopefully we don't need him to do that a ton this season. But when called upon, he had, a, he had a good game. So shout out to, I think overall, you know, we didn't really talk about it. But Ohio State special teams unit was, other than the, the missed field goal, which obviously is not something we're accustomed to seeing from Noah Ruggles. Um, I thought Ohio mm -hmm. State special teams unit was really good. Their kick coverage was excellent. Um, their punting unit was really good. So uh, I was happy to see all that. That was kind of a, a thing that harkened back to, you know, the, the Urban Meyer era where you take a lot of pride in your special teams. I think Ohio State has lacked a bit in that department in recent years, but the the units, both of them uh, overall, looked pretty solid. So no no complaints from me there either as just kind of we, we fill out the, the full uh, story of the game here with the last unit of the field of the special teams unit. Yeah, no complaints. That Ruggles kick, it is what it is. Uh, Rust, he barely missed it. It wasn't a shank or anything like that. And the kick coverage units, especially, pin Notre Dame down consistently deep. The Xavier Johnson tackle was awesome, right? We were talking about that in our Slack last night. Scores a touchdown, first one ever, and then immediately goes down and makes a catch. And I, I could not have loved his reaction or his response to that more because they asked him about it in the press conference, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but he was like, I, I was just doing what I was coached to do. I didn't care about the touchdown. I didn't care about the moment. Uh, I had an assignment. And that's what I went and I, I completed. So that was just, that was so awesome. And it reminded me of some of the guys that you saw on the sideline, right? That was something that Terry McLaurin would have said. That was something that Chris Olave would have said. And they were stars. Xavier Johnson is a walk-on. He's been, he's put in the time. It's probably been difficult for him at times, but to have that mentality, it means that it has made its way down through the, the football generations, if you will. And uh, you saw starters out there, too, on special teams. So, no, no complaints at all. I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you saw after he made that tackle, like the whole team basically come out to like hype him up and congratulate awesome. him. So that was that was nice to see. Obviously, a guy who's who's very well respected among the Ohio State uh, team, and and a guy that's you know earned the reps that he's getting now. So we'll see how much of a of a you know impact he continues to have as Ohio State gets healthy. I don't imagine he'll be catching a ton of touchdown passes this season, but we now know that he is you know a reliable guy and a guy who get can do pretty much all, a little bit of everything out there when called upon. So fun to see. Great game for Xavier Johnson. Great game for Ohio State overall. Um, I think that's more or less it, Josh, unless you had anything else to, to drop. We got a nice hour here on Ohio State Notre Dame recap, but I think we're both just excited to have finally some game, some some stats on paper here, some reps, get to see what Ohio State actually looks like in a real game situation. And, you know, we got a whole season of this. We got, we got at least 11 more games, uh, God willing, more. Uh, to talk about, but I think this is a, a fun way to start off a, a big game for Ohio State to start the season out a big win once again, twenty-one to ten over Notre Dame, and I, I think that's pretty much all we have on this. There'll there'll be much more to talk about as we go throughout the season. I'm sure there'll be a ton of storylines to discuss, but I think overall we're we're coming out of this feeling pretty good. 
I, not a whole lot to add from me. I'll borrow from Urban Meyer a little bit. Best thing about being 1-0. and And that's really all you need. You open against the number five ranked team in the country. Wasn't always pretty at times, but it's a double-digit win. Your defense balled out. You dealt with the loss of some guys on offense. So uh, I wouldn't say it was a perfect A+. But I think I'm a little more optimistic than some. It was a B-plus, A-minus performance in my opinion. And that's all you can ask for to be 1-0 moving forward. So equally excited, Gene. I'm ready to do this week in and week out. And hopefully we get to talk about 12, 13 more of these things. So that'll be it from us this week. We'll be back sometime early this week or probably midday, midway through the week this week to preview Ohio State's next game against Arkansas State. Um, as always, be sure to check out all of our written content over at LandGrantHoyland.com. We will have a ton both post-game from this game, previewing the next game, and all of that throughout the season. Um, uh, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff podcast asks you to do. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.